When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Well, happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Paul Dottino, John Schmelk, face-to-face in person here as you have a final week uh, right before we get training camp going here, Paul. It's the final show of the final week with nobody in this – well, the players are in the building, but nobody's on the practice field, I should say, getting ready for the regular season to begin. So uh, we're on the precipice here. We're getting there. So we figured this would be a good time since we're not live yet. We hope to be live at some point next week. This is out of our hands. I want to stress that. This is not our department. So we are working on getting that done. Uh, and when we'll have it up, we'll be ready to go. And it'll be 2 o'clock during training camp. So hopefully that's at some point next week. We'll see. Uh, we have our top men working on it right now. Top men. So we'll do that next week. But today, we're going to answer your questions in lieu of calls. We sent out a couple of tweets. You can send them in the hashtag Giants chat if you haven't already. Well, it's too late because we're recording. So we'll get to those questions throughout the program. But first, uh, Lance and I touched on this briefly at the end of yesterday's show. I figure we'll get a little bit more in uh, detail now. The Giants, uh, via Dan Salamone's tweet yesterday, did send out word that they'll be placing rookie tight end Daniel Bellinger on uh, the PUP list, Mr. Detino, which is the physically unable to perform list. Now, in the preseason, it's important to stress that doesn't mean he has to be out for a certain amount of time, a certain amount of weeks, a certain amount of games, but he is going to miss some time. Obviously, the injury, it's a quad, according to the report from Dan, uh, is serious enough where they know he's not going to be ready, at least for the first few practices of training camp. Yeah, and I think the thing that you want to keep in mind here, John, and you're very much aware, aware of this, is that if you start a guy on PUP at the beginning of training camp, then you just have to worry about when you're going to activate him, and then he becomes part of your active roster. Now, right now, the Giants have 90 players on their active roster, plus Bellinger as the PUP guy, making it 91, okay? So so that's the first thing. It's allowing them to keep an extra player at the moment. Not that they'll need it. God only knows, you know, if, if that one player is going to make a difference, but they have decided to do that because they can. The other thing you have to keep in mind is that once a player practices during the summer, he cannot go back to PUP. That's it. 
that he loses that exemption. So if the Giants have any feelings about Bellinger's quad right now as being something that he's going to need to miss a few days of, of practice for, well, better to put him on PUP now than to have him go out there, be sore, and then it's like, well, we're going to lose him for a few days. Well, then what good is that? Because now he's on the active 90. You don't have the extra player that you have now. And then if he gets aggravated, you can't put him back on PUP. So it makes perfect sense. It's a more of a bookkeeping move, I think, than anything else, but it makes sense. Yeah, this isn't a deal where if you're putting him on PUP to start the season, it's guaranteed four weeks now, and you're not going to see him for a while. So, heck, he could be activated on Friday of next week and miss two practices and be off PUP and be fine. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll hear from Brian Dable early next week at some point. I'm sure he'll give some more details on what the timetable might be. Uh, but in terms of the impact on the team, Paul, now the Giants have a pretty thick tight end room right now i'll go through the names just so uh fans have them as well as i'm sure quite frankly paul they probably haven't heard of a lot of these guys uh they aren't exactly you know common names for fans to know but ricky seals jones chris myrick andre miller austin allen jordan akins and then obviously daniel bellinger so that's what you're looking at right now and then if you want to throw in like jeremiah hall is technically in that mix i think so that, that's kind of what you're looking at right now in terms of that tight end room. And really, with the way this has gone um, this year, Paul, it's a that might be the most wide-open competition that you have. I know Hall's more of a fullback, but he could be, you know, crossover position to position. Right. Um, where you could have, I mean, would it shock you if any four of those guys is on the field for the first snap of opening weekend? I mean, I think you probably think all. it's going to be Ricky Seals-Jones, but you know, you're know, you not rolling out any pro bowlers in that group. So I think it's a pretty open competition. And Daniel Bellinger could have won it, but now it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Well, we'll see how much time he misses. Remember now, folks, the veterans come in on Tuesday to do their sprints and conditioning drills. The first practice isn't until Wednesday when they go shirts and shorts. And it'll be only shirts and shorts for the first week. Correct. Mm -hmm. So the truth of the matter is, is basically identical to what they did in the spring. Right. Mm -hmm. So Bellinger, you hate to see him miss any time at all because you just want him to be with everybody and have them do everything together. But realistically, yeah, but realistically, it doesn't become a painful miss day until they start taking snaps. Yeah, I would say, Paul, if he misses more than a week, then you start getting a little bit nervous. You know, if he misses a week, he's still got about two weeks until that first preseason right. game. You think you can be okay. But, and I made this point on yesterday's show, tight end is one of those positions where, look, even look at last year. Like, Kyle Pitts had a nice rookie year, but he wasn't, you know, the the Kyle Pitts that Jeff Fiegel's drooled all over this table about for a year. Because, you know, tight end is a really tough transitional position. It's a very different position in college compared to the NFL now. They're used a little bit differently, mm-hmm. and there's just so much more to learn. Learning all the blocks in the run game, learning all the routes, learning protections. I mean, a tight end has to learn the wide receiver position, the offensive line position. It's very, very difficult uh, as opposed to some of the other positions on the field for a tight end and a rookie tight end to get ready to go. So anytime he misses, certainly will set him back. Now, one thing I will say about Bellinger, he played the last three seasons at San Diego State in full, did not have injury issues. Mm-hmm. So this is not a guy who's coming in out of the draft with a lot of 
bumps and bruises and nicks and things that you have to say to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, is this a consistent problem? I don't think it's that, okay? I know he missed some some COVID time uh, a few years ago when he was at San Diego State. Uh, and he got banged up a little bit as a freshman. And he was also a four-year player there, too. So, so he played in a lot of Played games. three full years since right, then. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't see any cause for bells and whistles and alarms here. That's number one. But number two, to your point, John, about this position being wide open, there are six tight ends on the roster. You've named them all. It seems to me that based on what we heard from our uh, broadcast associates in Washington and Houston, that... Akins and uh, Ricky Seals-Jones are not going to just yield the position to Bellinger without a fight. It does sound like, because of the connection to the uh, assistant coach in Houston who brought Akins here, and because Ricky Seals-Jones has done some very good things in the passing game with his height over the last couple of years with Washington, the the Giants signed these guys for a reason. They, they believe that they will fit into the style of offense that both Kafka and Dable are going to implement. So even though they drafted Bellinger, I do think that they had some some expectations for these rookies. I mean, not for these rookies, for these veterans. So is it safe to say that those are the three tight ends that will probably make the 53? Highly likely. I think you would agree. Yeah, sure. But who gets the most reps? In fact... Let me ask you a question. Forget who starts week one. Who gets the most snaps by the end of the season out of those three? I would, If I had to bet today, I'd probably say Ricky Seals-Jones. Just because I think this is more of a passing offense, and I think Bellinger is more of a steep learning curve, given where he, what he did at San Diego State. So I, I my guess would be Ricky Seals-Jones, assuming, assuming all three are healthy, obviously. That would change the calculation. I think today I'm inclined to agree with you but I think it's razor thin that sure. Bellinger could actually wind up being the guy on top yeah, at the I end of the year. I think he could be, too. That wouldn't surprise me. I, that, I would put him in, in second in most likely, and then i put Aiken stuff. Yeah. That's what I would do. All right, you ready to get to some questions let's here? Let's go. All right, let's go. We got about, I don't know, a dozen or so questions. Paul and I go back and forth. You guys kind of responded to a couple different tweets. You did the hashtag, so we're kind of going to run through all those, and we'll kind of rotate back and forth asking questions here, Paul. So I'll start here. This one coming in from uh, Adam Zenzer. Realistically, what do you expect from Kenny Galladay in terms of offensive production this year? Yards, touchdowns, catches, if he stays healthy. Now, we're going to do our over-under show um, in a couple weeks at some point during camp when we get bored and we're looking for stuff to do um, (laughs) because that does happen. You watch practice every day and then stuff gets repetitive and there's only so much to talk about. So we'll do that some point next two weeks. But Look, and, and we talked about this, I think it was yesterday's show, Paul, how I kind of have Kenny Galladay as the most indispensable, or two days ago, as the you most did say in, that. indispensable Giants player on offense just because I don't know who could replace him if he goes down. Who has that X-wide receiver, can do the things that contested catch, do the things that he can do. I just don't think they have that guy. So we're assuming healthier. So we're assuming 17 games out of Kenny Galladay. That's, that, that's the nature of the question. That'd be nice, given his last couple years with injuries. If he can do that, we'll see. If seven, you're getting 17 games from Kenny Galladay. And again, folks, we didn't actually look at these questions, so that's why I think I, I like coming at these fresh. And we kind of I talk agree. Through them. I did I not look at them on fun. purpose. So let's see. So Kenny Galladay in his career, he's only top 70 catches once, all right? And that's when he played 15 games. He's only played 16 games in a season once. That was 2019. He had 65 catches for 1,190 yards. That was the best year of his career. But his 
50, this highest reception total ever was 70. And that's when he played 15 games. So I'd say if he plays a 17-game season, how about 68 catches, 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns? How does that sound? Sounds very realistic. I, I was going to say to you, the, the year where he had the 1,000 yards, I, I see him duplicating that. I yeah, see he had him. Two, he had two, his two best years, Paul, and this is really his only two really right. good years of production was, just so the fans know, 2018, 70 catches, 1,063 yards, five touchdowns, 15 yards per catch. Mm-hmm. Next year in 2019, that's his lone Pro Bowl year, 65 catches. This is 16 games, 1,190 yards, 11 touchdowns, and a ridiculous 18.3 yards per catch. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I see him duplicating his Pro Bowl season. I'm, I'm looking at 62, 63 grabs for about 1,100 yards and probably six touchdowns. I don't think he'll get as many touchdowns as he did then because, oh. remember, Detroit was rather um, void of a lot of other scoring I threats. Think he could get to eight, though. You don't think he could get to eight? I'm going six. I don't know about eight, eight, eight isn't bad. Oh, okay. Eight and six are not that far no, off. It's not. That's true. Uh, I don't think he's going to go double digits. No, I agree with because that. Because the Giants have too many other guys they could go to in terms of breaking the end zone. So, um, I, I, you know, look, if the Giants are going to be any good this year. He better do that. They they need Barkley and Galladay to become yeah. headache players once again. Mm-hmm. It's really very simple. Yeah, they need him to. I mean, look, they paid him a contract that you would give a number one wide receiver. Go play like a number one wide receiver. That's it. it, it it's it, Look, and even if he doesn't make the Pro Bowl, I mean, remember when Plexico Burris was here, he was a dynamic player and did not make the Pro Bowl as a Giants receiver. Yeah, because he wasn't catching 80, 90 balls, but the 60 Correct. or 70 balls he caught were very impactful. For over 1,000 and a bunch of touchdowns. I think that's a really good way to talk about what you want from Galladay. That's what Galladay needs to do. He needs to be a Burris-type headache player. I agree. More of a big play guy than a constant target guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're up next, Paul. What's the next question? Uh, David, uh, and I can't really, I guess it's underscore N-I underscore Lion underscore. Very unique uh, address he has on Twitter. He says, are there any plans for a fan fest in London coming over from Germany? And it would be nice to get together with Giants fans from all over the world. Now, again, we're reading these questions fresh. And maybe I just did him a disservice because John and I, Probably don't have an answer for you on this one, other than um, the Giants will be there for at least a few days, and I have a hunch that the NFL will do something to blow out that appearance. Yeah, I'm sure the NFL will have something for fans. Absolutely. They always do. I mean, that's that, that's a big part of these London trips. Will, will we do something? I don't know the answer to that. I know when we went one year, we did love. Remember, we did that live BBK at in, a pub. In a pub, that yeah, was a lot of fun. It was pretty wild. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, so, it was very crowded. People were out in the street. Yeah, so I can I, I can try to push that. I don't know if that's going to happen though, but we could try. Well, we'll see if the equipment can work by then. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, David had another one though. I wanted to piggyback because yeah, he had two oh, back yeah, to back. Yeah, yeah. He asked us. He said, uh, "Is there a special Eli retirement version of the number ten jersey?" Uh, I don't think there will be one because they've retired Eli's 10, so nobody can wear it. So this year, as they go to these um, legacy jerseys, there can't be a number 10. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance, and I don't know how the team shop will work on this. Sometimes you can customize jerseys. So maybe if you go buy a customized legacy jersey and you want to get the Manning and the 10 put on there, you probably can. But 
why would you want to though? Yeah, because he never wore the jersey. No, right. I agree with you. It's a Sims jersey. Yeah, or an LT jersey, or, or a Hostetler jersey, jersey for that or matter. Strayhand jersey, Gold right? Whatever. It's not. I mean, with all due respect, David, I don't know that I would want a legacy jersey with Manning. It on would it. be unique, that's for sure. Because well, you never actually there's it. no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, if you really wanted to be specific, the guy who wore this jersey back in the '80s as number ten was Brad Van Pelt. Yeah, who not, went to five straight Pro Bowls. I don't know if these legacy jerseys will be available for customization on the website. That Again, that is not our department. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But we'll see. Keep an eye open. But if, if you want to do it, that would be how you would do it. You would go to the... You go to the team shop or the NFL shop, whatever, and you go and you'd uh, and you customize that legacy jersey to have the Manning ten. But no, I doubt they'll they'll sell a Manning ten Legends jersey because he never actually wore the jersey. Then again, maybe they will. What the hell do I know? <laughs> All right, here we go. This one from uh, Cliff Leibowitz. Can can Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry performances against the Bengals in the playoff loss be predictive for Week One? And he is a three-part question here, so we'll we'll start there. Okay. Um, no, I mean it's it's a whole new season, it's a different opponent, and we all know how much things in the NFL change every year. So my my short answer to that would be no. I am inclined to agree with you. When we had our um, a guest on to preview the Titans, we I, I forget exactly who it was we had on from that particular program. I think it was one of the broadcast uh, uh, crew members, and he said it was his thinking that they weren't going to workhorse Derrick Henry as much as they had in the past. Now, remember, he had had that injury last year, uh, wound up uh, missing nine games, I believe, until he came back for the playoffs. And he was saying that it's, it's their hope that somebody like Hassan Haskins, the rookie who they drafted in the fourth round. Yeah, Henry is 28 for a running back. You're, that, that's getting there. A little bit. Yeah, it's getting creeping. He's mm-hmm. creeping closer. Uh, but it was his, it was his opinion that, especially if Haskins comes along quickly, their fourth-round pick, that, you know, he is a he is a very physical type of runner. Oh, I, I like – I talk about him in the draft. It's good player. Yeah, a nice, nice, nice between-the-tackles runner. So it was his estimation that Haskins, if he comes along quickly in training camp, may become a little bit more of a supplemental rotational player than maybe they've had in the past. Is Dante Foreman still on that team? Or did they no, not right know? now. Oh, really? They didn't bring him back, huh? I got I got Hilliard and Haskins on their depth chart, because unless I, I'm missing something. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not, I know he finished the year with them, I, but I knew he was on a one-year deal. I didn't know if they brought him back or not. I did not obviously keep track of that because I wasn't here when you guys did the Titans show. Donnell Hilliard is also there. And by the way, shout yeah, out they, to the NEC. Julius Chestnut oh, is, is with the really? Titans. Oh is, oh, is he on their... Uh... NEC, NEC running back Julius Chestnut, who uh, two years ago led the nation in rushing at FCS at Sacred Heart. You know what? Given his size parameters, he actually makes sense for that and the way he runs between the tackles. Yes. That actually is a really good fit. I didn't realize that's where he wound up. That's excellent. That's That's where he landed. That's where he landed. I'm surprised with Foreman, actually. If you look at – let me bring up his numbers here, Paul, because I'm actually surprised by that. I don't know I'm getting off the beaten path here. But last year, um, after Henry went down, right – Foreman, and I'll bring up his game log here for 2021. That would be, yes, 2021 season. So in his last few games last year, Paul, you know, he t- in week at the end of November, he had a 19-rush, 109-yard game. He had a 13-rush, 47-yard game, a 22-rush, 108-yard game, a 9-rush, 17-yard game, a 26-rush, 132-yard game, and a 21-rush, 69-yard game, and he had three rushing touchdowns. 
And much like Derrick Henry, he's a big dude. He's 6'1", 236. I just thought that would have been a really nice fit for him as a backup to Henry. I'm just surprised they didn't bring him back. Well, the Carolina Panthers thought so. Oh. So they gave him a one-year deal oh. <laughs> to back up McCaffrey. I wonder if they paid him. See, but that, see that that's a weird fit to me. Because they're completely different. They're a different style. Yeah. I mean, he's not the receiver that McCaffrey is. Right. That's interesting. Maybe maybe the Titans were only willing to give him a minimum and, and the Panthers paid him a little he's bit only, more. He's only getting a million from the Panthers. Yeah. I'm so ah, that surprises me that they look, I like Haskins, so maybe that maybe that was their calculation yeah. that they'll have Haskins. He's a between the tackles guy. They don't need Foreman. But uh anyway, all right. So that, that that's part one of the question. Part two, can Aquanu get significantly better in pass pro feet by week two? So that would be Ekamaquanu for the Panthers game. All right, I just figured out where he's going with this. They're starting offensive. T- I'm like, Quanu, what? Huh? Now I get it. Starting offensive tackle for the Panthers. So the Panthers drafted at six after the Giants drafted right. Kayvon Thibodeau. Can he get significantly better in pass pro with his feet by week two? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's better for sure. I mean, if he worked out a lot in, in the offseason and such, oh, he, he's going to be a good player. You love him to death. So I'll let you talk about him. Look. I'll go back to what Mick Gates told me when he made the conversion to center. And he had already been in this league for a few years at the time. And he told me in retrospect that first game when they played against the Pittsburgh Steelers, he felt like a fish out of water. He was totally lost and said to me he did not even know what he was doing. And he said it took at least three or three games, four games or so before he could start getting comfortable and actually fitting into the position well because he had been making a change of position. Now, Aquano's not making a change of position, but there's no question that they will teach him new things in training camp that he did not get taught when he was at college. So is it realistic to expect him to be a polished tackle right out of the box? No, it's not. It's not the same thing with Evan Neal. Evan Neal is not going to be perfect week one against Tennessee, John. I mean, look, look at Andrew Thomas's first year. It takes time. With Absolutely. This stuff. Now, by rookie. the middle of the season, Andrew Thomas, by the middle of his rookie season, got appreciably better. By week eleven, it was week eleven that it kind of clicked because I think they had a week ten bye that year, and it was right after that bye week. It was after that Bucks game, and he came back after the Bucks game after the bye, and he played. Since There's a reason why people mm-hmm. say experience is valuable, correct? Because it is. Yeah. So in week two. I do think Iquanu may have some missteps. Well, and I think all rookie offensive linemen could. No doubt. The year. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Totally with you on that, 100%. All right, the last part of his question from Cliff Leibowitz. Um, can Wink Martindale um, overcome Dak's against pressure stats in week three? I'm guessing that means Dak Prescott had really good stats against the Blitz last year. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I could actually look up that that specific stat right now. Um, but uh, what do you think? I guess you could talk generally about Wink's defense against the Cowboys offense in week three, and I'll try to look up that stat for you. Well, I think the big thing you want to keep in mind is that right now, Wink's tape with the Ravens shows us a lot, but it doesn't show us everything, especially because we don't know how he's going to operate with the guys that the Giants have on his roster. 
So by the time Dallas gets to facing the Giants, they will have two games of tape to figure out, okay, what what is Wink trying to do here? Is it the same style, same plays, same theories, same schematics that he was using in Baltimore? Or is he doing something a little different because he has different personnel? My guess is it's going to be similar, but we'll have to wait and see. It probably will be more similar than not. But does he have some guys on this team who have some unique tools that he will be able to use differently and become a key part of what he wants to do? Look, Dallas is going to have two weeks of tape to see it. It's you know what, John, and this this and Dallas, by the way, has their same offense that they've had for three years with Kellen yes. Moore and Mike McCarthy. There's so, no changes so, there, so, so that is an automatic. Uh, you know, here's a really good question for you, and I have pondered this, and it's given me a headache. I've stayed up some hours thinking about it. Okay, what do you got for me? You know how I feel about the preseason, right? Yeah. I want to see the the guys play some more snaps. Sure. Okay, how much do you show? Do you show? These guys, they have to practice it, right? They got to yeah. practice it. They got to do it. Here's the they thing: they got to get it down. I think you practice the basic stuff, and that stuff that he already showed in Baltimore that teams would be preparing for anyway. Mm-hmm. And you show some of that stuff, but 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 you don't show the exotics. That's what I would do. Yeah. Well, you can't show the exotic stuff. Right. You can't. That's that's for sure. But how much of the base stuff do you use? During the preseason. Anything that was on tape for Baltimore, I would have no issue. And and vice versa on the other side also? I think it's a little bit different offensively. That line is totally rebuilt, John. So what do you do? I don't mind. Look, people are going to prepare for for what Dable's done before. Yeah, if, if he wants to show the stuff that he did in Buffalo, like straight up stuff, yes, but like the the... The tweaks and the twists that maybe my Kafka's bringing over, combining with Dable, maybe that's the stuff you don't break out in the preseason. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I, I do think that you run the stuff that you ran in Buffalo and you ran in Baltimore, but I would think that any of the spices that Mike Kafka is bringing to this sauce have to be kept yeah. under wraps until week one. I'm not be. showing any of that yeah, stuff. Okay. The problem is that some of that pre-snap motion stuff, that is stuff you do have to practice. It's tricky. You have to because there's, there's no doubt. involved and Absolutely. there is stuff you have to practice. It is tricky. And and you know, that's why they've got, I believe, how many weeks is it, John? From the time that the public gets closed out of training camp till the time week one starts. How many practices do they have before the Titans game? I believe Because remember, folks, and, and even though you guys are allowed at training camp, you get cut off. I believe, is it before the Jets game? I think the last practice open to the public is the practice before the Jets game. Right. That's what I think, too. I think. So then there'll be, they have three practices after that, and then you have your game prep week, which is another three or four, depending if they practice on Labor Day. So they'll have six or seven practices. Okay. The question becomes for this coaching staff. Are those practices enough? And I suspect they probably would say it is to get done what you need to get done with all the cloak and dagger stuff that you won't show when everybody else can watch. And, of course, we're going to have no idea what they're showing and what they're not. So, no. I mean, well, well, not really. I take it back. We did see a lot of the stuff they showed in the spring. So that'll. Yeah, but. No, I know. It's, right, it's those are crumbs. You're up next. Next question. Oh, okay. 
Um, let's see here. Uh, we have. <laughs> I almost want to laugh at. Want to laugh at this one? It's simply a comment. Uh, Abby, Abby number twenty one just says football's in the air, <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, and he's got a very funny gif. But that, that's not a question. You know how I feel. You saw my tweet this morning, right? No, I didn't. Kermit the Frog jumping up and down. Oh, okay. This this is this is the last full week of non structured NFL stuff until deep into twenty twenty three. I am so ready to get going on Monday. Anyway, all right, here we go. Um, Bob Malone, uh, at Bob R. Malone 16, says, Paul, no matter how bad we have been uh, for so long each draft, each training camp gives us what we all need, hope. People you count on to come through and people who surprise big time. I can't take another 0-5 start. We'll say hello to the pregame, uh, uh, to you at the Carolina game, uh, and then hope for the best later on. Have fun. I could not agree with him more. Hope springs eternal. Uh, But I don't care about hope, projections, any of it. This team cannot go 0-5. Hell, Paul, they can't start 0-2. I mean... I mean, because you know why? If you start 0-2... And you have Dallas coming into town in week three. That's an Armageddon game. You're literal. Look, and I don't mm-hmm. want to be hyperbolic, mm-hmm. but let's be honest. Your season's pretty much on the line. If you start 0-3 with that schedule coming up and you have games against the Packers and the Ravens in weeks five and six, if you start 0-3, like, you're kind of finished. With a division loss. Right? I mean, I'm not wrong, am I? The, the hole is mighty deep to climb out of at that point. Really deep. Now, I mean, it's not impossible. Look, you could run off four straight wins against the Jaguars, Seahawks, Texans, and Lions, but it's just such a it's such a hard thing to sustain when you finish three games in the hole. There, it's just it's so. I mean, just, no question. Just look at the historical numbers. I think what two teams have made the playoffs have started zero three in the history of the league. It's crazy. Then the other thing you've got to have is excellent health. If you're oh, going yeah. to make the rebound, you have to have guys be able to play. Sure. So you're not leaving your, yourself any room for either health problems or or margin for error on the field. It becomes a next to impossible hole to climb out of. You gotta win one out of those. Look, I, I'm not look, Dallas is it's a division game. You can always win division games, but sorry, I, I need to win one of those first two games. I'm tired of starting 0 2. I'm, I'm I'm tired of it. Every year. Every, literally, I'm not being hyperbolic. Every single year, Paul, it's been 0 2 except for the 2016 season. I'm aware. Every year. I'm aware of it. Can't do it anymore. Can't do it. Especially considering you have the new administration in here, and there is so much on the line for both Barkley and Jones. Right. You know, this team has to, has to do something positive in September to give everybody something to chew on. Right. They have to. Now, I'll say this, too. You can't be over. When I say you can't go start 0-2, what I mean is that if you want to make a playoff run, you know, and try to be over 500, you can't start 0-2. Well, um, you know me. I don't, and I will say it again. I don't care what the team's record is this year, so I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Yeah, but you I want competitiveness, don't you? I care about what the individual players on the field are doing. Like if they start 0 and 2, but Evan Neal looks awesome, and you know, like Xavier McKinney's balling out, and like the important guys out of the long term future of this franchise are all playing great, I'll I'll take that. Well, because that would make the team competitive. Kevon Thibodeau was like three sacks. Where do I sign? That's fine. I got but you. If, if you want to like be a competitive team this year, you can't start 0-2. No. You can't. No. 
So right. anyway, I am, I got I got I got those go but go ahead which we're, we're flopping yeah, we're back and forth. Right. Yeah. I have a comment and a question. I'll do both. This one from uh, Giants Freak. He is I believe that is the Puerto Rican flag in there. At uh Mange Zorio. This is the comment. Hey John, I was happy the last few weeks having not to hear the voice of Charlie Looney, and I can already bet that he will be the first call when you guys get back on the phones. Now that he believes he's the hottest thing on Twitter, I'll only say this. Brace yourselves. <laughs> That's the comment. Well, would it surprise you to know that Charlie has actually volunteered to come down here and fix our live stream? Shocking. <laughs> um, all right, and now is for the, for the real question. This is from Owen Omari271. Who you'll be, and this is, I think, a question that's going to be in cover three on Monday, if I'm not mistaken. Who will be the player you'll be watching the most once the pads go on? And my answer was simple. And I think the question for cover three was just, you know, what are you most, what are you going to, the first thing you're going to watch at training camp? And I said, Evan Neal and Kayvon Thibodeau. You have to. That's it. Like, they were out there in the spring, though Thibodeau missed a lot of time. But there's no contact and there's no pads. You can't see anything. I got to see these guys in pads, one-on-one, see Kayvon Thibodeau against Andrew Thomas one-on-one, see Evan Neal against Aziz Ojolari one-on-one, and Thibodeau and Neal Neal together. I got to see these guys together. The first time they're in pads, those are the two guys I'm watching. I don't think there's any doubt. That's a very easy answer. And if you wanted to debate one other guy for consideration, and I don't know if he's going to be in pads the first day of training camp, it's Blake Martinez. I cannot wait to see Blake Martinez back out on the field to see if he is assertive, has his mobility back, and can go back to being a 150-tackle machine a season again. Now, I'll say this. If you take the word pads out of it, the other player that I'm going to be watching very closely this summer is Kadarius Tony. You know, I, I think it's so important to this team that and just the long-term trajectory for him to become a real player. Like, he was a first-round pick. You need your young players to develop mm-hmm. into meaningful, changing players. So, does he stay healthy? Does he stay on the field? That was a challenge all year last year, whether it was in the summer Correct. or in the regular season. And can he become a re- – look, we know when he has the ball, he's going to be explosive, right? That we already know. But can he be a reliable target for the quarterback where Daniel knows where he's going to be and he's there? and he can throw to him with anticipation, and he improves as a route runner and can win on routes, I will be watching him as well. You know the hard part about watching Tony in training camp is that because— Is that he didn't participate in training camp last year because he was hurt most of the time? I mean, I'm not wrong. No, you're not wrong. (laughs) For for me, and and again, this is maybe just a personal thing, because training camp is not game speed— it's hard to really judge his pure value right. because Tony's best attribute is his elusiveness and his jukeability. You only can fully appreciate those traits when the game is being played at game speed oh, guys against guys who are trying to tackle him who have absolutely no idea what move he's going to make. Right, but, but, that's, but this is my point. We know he can do that, so I'm not worried about We know that. he can. But we know he can. When he's out there and he's playing and they do DB wide receiver one-on-ones, with that physical ability, he should be uncoverable in those situations. Yeah. He should be open all the time. I want to see him dominate wide receiver cornerback one-on-ones. That's fair. Because that's, that's fair. What, as a first-round pick with his athletic gifts, that's what you should do. That's fair. Again, again, 
not game speed, but I understand. Because some guys don't practice like they play games. They're True. bad practice players, well, and they're better game players. Burris was one of those guys. Yeah, I'm not a fan of those guys. You know that. I understand that. But those guys do exist. Yeah, but they also take pride in, I think, be, you know, these wide receivers and the DBs don't like to get embarrassed by their teammates. No, they, they, that's true, too. That's what I'm saying. Like in team then, drills, then again, there are other guys who feel like, I'm good enough. It doesn't matter. I don't care. There are yeah, those guys. There are some of those guys. All right, you're up next. All right. Yep. Uh, DLM, I believe, is his name. Sure. At, at Macron14BAOL.com. Some of these, I don't, some of these addresses, I don't get them, but anyway. Maybe it's the president of France, Macron. Oh, all right. He says, uh, Daniel Jones should ask for four years at 12 million. I saw that one. And change the NFL forever. Also, he should throw the ball, throw the low fastball at wide receiver knees, more like Eli did to Steve Smith. They don't need $30 million. You can't spend it to get more players. Also, Wildcat Tony, his throws were accurate. All right, get on your soapbox about quarterback salaries, and then I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> because I know I, I, I've seen you on the soapbox before. Go. <laughs> I'm not wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm going to allow that to stay in the closet right now. <laughs> I, I, I maintain that there should be some type of cap on your highest paid player. Um, and Lance has tried to argue, like he often does, uh, by saying, well, what happens if you have a defensive lineman who's making you know, $27 million a year? If you're going to pay Aaron Donald, whatever you're going to pay him, isn't that the same as paying a quarterback 27 or 28 or 30 Well, by the way, and, and now wide receivers are getting 30 Yeah, right? Like, I know. literally, no joke. I know. <laughs> I, look, I maintain that, and I know that it's probably an antitrust violation, which will probably n- never allow it to happen, but I truly believe that when you pay one player on your roster, you know, an exorbitant amount where his percentage of the cap is eating up 15% just by himself, I'm sorry. I think, you know, the evidence over the course of time has showed that that is a very, very unproductive thing to do. It makes it difficult. It can work, but it's very difficult. So my feeling is I would love to see the NFL put in some type of structure whereby they could have some type of trigger or cap saying that you cannot, no team in the league will pay any one player more than 14% of their cap. The NBA does that. The NBA has maximum salaries. So, well, and, and I've often said, by the way, good luck collectively bargaining. Yeah, it'll never players. happen. I know. <laughs> now, it's the quarterbacks who, who have the most guys who jump into the $30 million stratosphere. Oh, yeah, I mean, for sure. Obviously. My whole thought on that, though, John, look, the NBA is working. It's the league is surviving. I know we've had a little bit of a of a cluster at the top of super teams, so to speak. But I love the bird rights rule. You can extend and go over your cap to re-sign your superstar player. Okay, fine. If you want to do that, that's a way to handle this. And then you you have a luxury tax where if you want to go over, you really got to pay the what. Yeah. I would love to. I I can compromise and do that in the NFL if you want. I just think the way it is right now, it's just an absolute mess where one guy, mostly the quarterbacks, are getting way overpaid given the percentage of the cap. 
Do you have a comment on the Kyler Murray extension? Not a big fan. Well, that's all. I'll give you a chance to comment. Not much to say. Not a big fan. <laughs> but look, in all seriousness, like in all jokes aside, though, within the next, what, five years, any quarterback not on a rookie contract is going to be making that's any quarterback worth his salt that's not on a rookie contract is going to be making $40 million a year within five years. You know what's going to happen. So, you know what's going to happen. Then the whole thing, well, it's hard to win that way if you have a quarterback making that much money. Well, if every quarterback's making that much money, then that kind of takes it's hard to win that way out of the equation because every quarterback's making that much money. I guess I guess that's a good point, John. If, every, again, if everybody again, has the same broken angle, does it matter? Right, exactly. <laughs> Unless, of course, you have a guy on a rookie contract when you draft him. That's when you have the huge and right. the advantage. Then grows even larger because the differentiation between your rookie quarterback and the veteran, no doubt, thirty million dollars. And then, oh, by the way, drafted, after the second year, that quarterback holds out. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right? right? You laugh. Oh, that's it. Wrong. Everyone's making forty. I'm making chump change after the second year. That's it. I'm done. I'm holding out. And now the franchise is over a barrel. Yeah, I mean, how is that good for the game? How long before Joe Burrow gets his extension? Now, I, I don't think Joe Burrow doesn't seem like the type of guy that, that would hold out, I don't think. But um, given all he's been through and everything, and how he's well, got fought from being a bench player to where he is now. But here's the problem. The system prompts you to be that guy. But honestly, here's the thing. I don't think the Bengals will make him. I think the Bengals will say, oh, what do you want? Okay, here it is. Like, I, you know what I mean? No, but it's like, seriously, what's the They've what's been the cheap point? in the past. No, but see, look, no, they have been cheap in the past. But, but look what happened to the Cowboys, right? They were haggling with Dak Prescott over a couple million dollars here or there for years. Mm-hmm. At first, oh, do you want to really pay him 30? You really want to pay him 28? Oh, do you want to pay him 35? Let's only pay him 32. He ended up having to pay him 40 because that's where the market took him. Right. So almost in every circumstance, you're better off paying your quarterback as quickly as you can. That is true. you wait, the thing's just going to – and by the way, I argued for the Cowboys position for I was like, yeah, you know, I don't know if he's a top five quarterback. Why would I want to pay him that much money? But you know what? You might be a top five quarterback when you sign the contract. In five years, you might be the 12th highest paid quarterback. So it just get those guys locked up as soon as you can before the market takes you to places you don't want to go. Kirk Cousins. Perfect example. Sure. Right. And he bet on himself. He took all those one-year franchise tags, and he bet on himself. And there's risk to that. You know. But he won out. Now, you know, justifiably, you could say, based on the market and his regular season numbers— Okay, you're getting what you paid for. Yeah, Cousins, is, if you just look at regular season numbers, he's, okay. he's a top he's, 10 quarterback. He's, he's Phillip Rivers. He's Tony Romo. Don't expect to win Super Bowls with this guy, but if you're a fantasy football person, you absolutely love the numbers he gives you during the regular season. I believe you're up for the next question. Am or? I? No, or maybe I'm up. I think I'm You up. had more parts to that one, didn't you? No, I'm good. Uh, oh, I just read this one with the with the uh, address. So oh yeah, you're uh, up. Kadarius Tony. I would not be surprised if he throws some passes this year, in trick plays and stuff. Just wouldn't like surprise he, just me like at all. Last year, so wouldn't surprise me at all. And I think maybe maybe him and even Wandell might have some backfield work. Wandell's go, Wandell will rush the football a number of times this year. It's not going to be the amount that the Niners use Debo Samuel because he was getting twelve or thirteen carries mm-hmm. a game. That, that won't that, happen. They're not getting that. I agree with you. But you might get you know maybe. You know, a couple plays a game. He will get him. like that. He will get him. Sure. All right. So next one up for me. And no, Daniel Jones is not going to take a three-year, $12 million contract. No, he's uh, not. <laughs> my God, these questions. I, we always get Sandro Platzcomer questions. It's hilarious. Does Sandro Platzcomer have a realistic chance to make the roster due to the uncertainty in the running back room behind Saquon and Brita? Now, I will use this opportunity to clear up a question that I have gotten in the past. When the Giants signed Roy 
and Baatika, and I think I have that right. Okay. Um, a lot of people thought that was their international signing. No, he's on a regular contract. Right. Platzgummer is still their international player program guy. All of the players in that class were extended a year because of COVID. COVID. So he is still the the he'll be on the roster this year because he's still as it's a free roster spot for an international player. So he'll be here. But will he be active on game day with like Gary Brightwell here and Deshaun Corbin, who was an undrafted free agent, and Tony Williams, who came over? Uh, I think the chances of that are pretty small. I concur. I concur. Good guy, by the way. Oh, I love Sam. Does a He's lot awesome. of community stuff, too. He's great. There was a second part to that question. Uh, which undrafted free agents, and I, you, you love this question, which undrafted free agents, Paul, are you keeping an eye on to make the roster? Uh, I've got a few. Um, to be frank with you, Corker, of course, the safety, uh, had a nice interception during the spring practices, and so immediately he stuck out like a sore thumb. I think most people thought he would be a day three pick in the draft. Yep, that was that seemed to be a consensus. So, and I think that that Corbin, the running back, also a lot of people thought was a draftable day three player. Florida State. Yes. Corbin? Yes. yes. So those guys, to me, they're not necessarily sleepers because I think most people thought they would get picked somewhere and they just happen to fall out of the draft. Can I throw Austin Allen in there in that category too? You think? A lot of people thought he was going to get they? drafted really, really late. I think he has a chance to make Okay. Him. I think he could be a practice squad guy. Austin oh, yeah. Allen, I, I sure. wouldn't doubt that. I wouldn't doubt that. I think he has a shot at it. But the two guys on the uh, undrafted free agent list that I'm anxious to look at and they don't get much ink. Christopher Hinton, the defensive tackle. Remember, his dad, Chris Hinton, was a multi-time Pro Bowl offensive tackle in this league for many, many years with the Colts and the Falcons. I am interested in getting a look at him once to get the pads on. And the other guy, the cut-ups that I saw looked very, very enticing. But I talked to a scout who said to me, problem is, He's there sometimes, and he's not there other times. Timon Fox from North Carolina. Outside linebacker, edge rusher. And if you look at his physical tools, he just looks like he stepped right off the bus and can't wait to get on the field and, and beat somebody up and, and hit somebody, tackle somebody. I shouldn't say beat somebody up. That's not a nice phrase. I I but tackle people, somebody. I think people know what you mean. He looks like he's just ready to pound running backs right. and get after the quarterback. I'm told his performance at North Carolina over the years was very hot and very cold. Very, very inconsistent. I'm very curious as to what he can show because I think his toolbox gives him a real good chance at being on the practice squad. But if he doesn't show out and ball out consistently, he'll have no chance to make the 53. But his toolbox, as long as he minds his manners and does everything the coaches tell him to do, and he's a good teammate, he'll probably wind up on the practice squad. And I have to mention this guy because otherwise Charlie will come and bat down the doors. With oh, I know what you mean. I have to mention Andre Miller, who's a converted wide receiver. He's kind of like that, you know, F-move tight end, uh, Andre mm -hmm. Miller. So not the former point guard for the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> um, but he is uh, he's another guy that I know some fans are excited to see. And if I didn't bring him up, Charlie would get very upset. So I agree. He would be. But again, I, I think Austin Allen is a guy who has – he's one of those guys that didn't do a lot, but he tested well. So he's Big a, guy. He's 6'6", six, 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 right? Yeah, I think 6'8". Is he, is legit? He's really big. Let me see. What, what is he listed? He didn't look 6'8 to me when he was here. He's actually listed at 6'9". 
It doesn't look it. But, yeah, he's a big guy. Nebraska, right, is Austin Allen, if I'm not yeah. mistaken? Yeah. So he's yeah. a big guy again. Nebraska, you know, they were more of a running team, I think, last year. They didn't yeah, throw but it the competition them, so. at tight end, you know, you kind of think that almost anybody could try to slot themselves into the back end. The problem is how many are they going to keep, John? Yeah. There's no way they're keeping more than three, not and that's a max. Yeah, uh, because, you know, Dable and Kafka, they're not a two-tight-end team. They're a three, they're an 11-personnel so, team. So, again, could be a practice team. squad guy, potentially, yeah. but I don't think any higher. I agree, yeah. I mean, would it? Would I be blown away if he snuck on as the third tight end? I wouldn't be blown away, but I would be mildly surprised. Yeah. All right, uh, you're up next, Okay, Paul. at NYG Tim. This is a great question. We've been talking about this one a long time, and none of us have the answer. Who do you think will be calling plays on offense? I have that one, too. Okay, good. So I can cross that one off my list. I think it's going to be Dable. If it wasn't going to be Dable, I think we know that by now, and he would have told us that. Um, really? So, I, I, my, again, I don't know I anything. I think he's keeping it close to the vest. I, I, I don't, That's what I, I, don't I think. I don't have any information. I think Brian Dable is going to have trouble giving that up. So I'm going to go Dable. <sighs> I feel like he will be res- a little resistant to change. I appreciate that thought, and I think there's a lot of logic behind and that. And I'm not saying that's what I want to happen. I'm just saying that's what I think is going to Well, you happen. know what I want. I would like Kafka to call plays, too. I I'm, I'm a big proponent of the offensive coordinator calling the plays. And again, that doesn't mean Dable wouldn't have a huge role in putting the game plan together Correct. and figuring all that out. But What I think is very interesting about this is that during the entire offseason— Kafka has been the one who has had the closest daily relationship with the quarterback, Daniel Jones. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. But I think if we're going to talk about Daniel Jones in his contract year as having to develop quickly, get off to a good start, and prove his worth to this franchise, not just this year, but potentially for years to come, they can't afford to have any stone unturned. And the fact that he and Kafka have become so incredibly intertwined during the course of the last few months, while Dable has had to worry about other fires and other faucets, leaky faucets to plug all the way across the board, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I think Kafka might just start calling the plays at the beginning of the season. I really am. How I know often, I want it to be, and maybe that's my prejudice. Wish, I think you're wish-casting a little bit. I no, could but, be. Look, would, would, would I be shocked if, if, if Kafka is the guy calling plays? I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. Well, Kafka's calling the plays during the spring. During the, during the practice sessions, he was calling the plays. Let me ask you this. And we, I didn't do the research on this, so I don't know offhand what the answer is. Maybe you do. I doubt you do either. When's the last time one of these offensive gurus got hired to be a head coach and they didn't call plays the first year in their new place? Uh, I haven't even begun to look at that or research but it. But I can't imagine it has happened it's a not, lot. It's it, not a lot. There's always a first time. Sure. There's always know. a first time, and I'm sure it's happened before. And I'm sure it has. But it's the, not usually how it works. Not usually how it works. And no. Remember, he was, Babel was brought in because of his strength as a play call. Right. So I would say I, my guess would be Dable. But we'll see. Yeah. All right. I got Matthew Cochran. Who will have the most sacks on the team? And who do you think the sack leader will be? I think that's the same question. Unless he means in the league, in the NFL, maybe? Uh, maybe. All right. Well, who do you think will lead the team in sacks this year? Um, I'll say Ojolari. 
Ujulari. I just hesitate to pick a rookie. Yeah. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Yeah. Uh, you know, the funny thing, and this is the deal, with Wink's system, it could be someone weird. With all the blitzing he does, like, they could be like a million guys with between five to eight sacks. And oh, like, I know. Darnay Holmes is like seven. Like, it could be something <laughs> weird like that. You know what I mean? Where they just blitz the slot corner a million times. Like, it could be Xavier McKinney. It could be Julian Love. I mean, it could be any of these guys. It could be Blake Martinez if they blitz them in a linebacker a lot. I mean, it could be any of these guys. But I, look, I think the safe guess is an edge player. And I don't like picking a rookie there, so I'm going to go Aziz Ojolari. I'm going to say Leonard Williams. Ooh, okay. How many? I think he gets back up to 11 again. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think I don't think he gets the double digits. I think it's See, just too hard for a defensive tackle to get. It's that. it's hard, but remember, he plays both. You know, he's kind of out there, and then he's inside, and they 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 swap him around. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to be the case in this system. I don't I don't know because then you have to take Thibodeau or Ojolari off the field. Well. And 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 I think see to me the interest well not necessarily see the thing that's interesting about what Wink is going to well, do. Well, I guess you I guess you could stand up Thibodeau in the right. middle of the line if you wanted to. Yeah, you could do that. It's possible. He he is so flexible. It wouldn't be frequent though. That'd be like a you know, no. But he is so flexible with how he uses his edge rushers and his pass rushing linemen that you know there are times in that amoeba defense. You know, John, no, there'll be plays where there's nobody down on the ground. Yeah, and Leonard Williams could be standing up in the middle of the line. He absolutely too. can. No, you're 100% agree. I'm with you on that. So I'm going to say that if if Thibodeau or Ojolari show any pressure and any danger to the quarterback early in the season, that's going to force teams to start worrying a little bit more about them because they're going to say, well, they're the edge guys. we got to worry more about them. We're going to start doing things. And that's when... Wink is going to start trying to move them around to draw more attention to them. And I think Leonard may get more one-on-ones than he's had in the last two years. And if he gets more one-on-ones, even if he's inside, I think he can win them. Here's a, here's a hot take prediction. The Giants' sack leader will not have double-digit sacks. And that's a very logical thing based on the Wink-Ravens defense where guys across the board don't get double digits. I think that's fair. Right, you're I'm, re- I'm reaching a little with, with Leonard to say 11, but I'm look, I've liked the guy ever since he came out of school. I've always been a big Leonard Williams fan. Except when he was on the Jets. Actually, I, I liked him there too. No, I know you did, but you didn't talk about it. because you Didn't talk about him. I had no reason to. I don't do a Jets show. That's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. Where we got to go back a little bit here because the people the last couple of days have been sending stuff to us, and I want to make sure I get somebody. Here we go. Hey, go ahead. All right. Um, uh, this was kind of a crazy rumor that came out the other day, courtesy of former Giants quarterback, uh, David Carr. I didn't appreciate it, but he put it out there. What was it? Uh, and Adam Schefter has kind of built on it a little bit, talking about the 49ers giving Jimmy G agents permission to seek a trade. 
And David Carr on NFL Network the other day said he wouldn't be surprised. He thinks he's a good fit for the Giants. He can't afford it. There's too much money. Of course. It's it's not it can't happen. The fit isn't there. But the um the um Vito Vito NJ Shore sends a question. What are your thoughts of him to the Giants? Well, business wise, it can't happen. Let's make that very clear. But if hypothetically What's his do you know what his base salary is offhand? It's it's gotta be over twenty. I'll look it up. Yeah, it has to be. Now, I will say this. To answer the question, because I, I did I did answer him on Twitter and tell him that, you know, it's it's not a possibility uh, for various reasons. I happen to like Jimmy G. I do think he, $24 million base salary. Yeah. I, I, I do think he's got ability, and I do think he can win games, as he's proven over the course of time in this league. But, you know, obviously the Giants are in a situation where they've got their guy right now. Week one, Daniel Jones is starting, and Daniel Jones is going to have to do a lot of really bad things for him to get yanked out of that lineup because they're going to give him every opportunity, this new administration, to prove that he is either the guy or not the guy. So if you want to talk about Jimmy G, you could talk about Jimmy G maybe next year if the Giants decide they need to go out and get somebody else. If they decide that Daniel Jones is not long for this team and they decide that Tyrod Taylor is not necessarily the bridge quarterback that they want, maybe Jimmy G is available next year. And if you said to me at that point, if all of those things are hypothetically in place, would you mind seeing Jimmy G on the team? I would tell you I like Jimmy G as a quarterback. I mean, he's fine. I don't think you're winning a Super Bowl but, with But him. short of that particular set of dominoes falling that way, right. this is not going to happen. And by the way, going back to the previous question, I said I would look it up, and I didn't. I forgot to give the answer. Prescott got- was like the third best quarterback dealing throwing under pressure last year. Was so, he? Yeah. Okay. Behind, believe it or not, Jacoby Brissett and Trevor Simeon. Wow. Yeah, and Josh Allen was fifth on that list. Jalen Hurts sixth, Kyler Murray seventh, mm-hmm. Joe Burrow eighth, Rodgers nine, Daniel Jones ten. Hmm. That's uh that's using um passer grade from PFF. Okay. So just that, that that's that's what I used to look it up. Um let's see, what do we got? I got a couple more here, Paul. Uh two questions, and yes, is probably better suited for Giants FAN, but uh anybody can answer them. That'll be you. Okay. Um <laughs> How comparable were the 70s to our recent struggles and frustration with DJ now compared to the frustration with young Phil Simms in his first few years? Well, this stretch of football does remind me of the Yelbow days, to be honest with you. And that's the early 70s, right? Well, or yeah. Well, well, they went to the Yelbow after the second home game of the 73 season. They played there in the rest of 73 and 74 then they went to Shea Stadium in 75 and came to Giant Stadium in 76. So it's that stretch of time right there. That, to me, is the real dark period of Giants football. And this has been right there, I'm sorry to say. I mean, I'm not going to pull any punches. It's It's been yo bullish. I mean, John Mara has said as much when he's spoken to the media, so I don't think As bad as it gets, news, yeah. right? As bad as it gets. Now, what I will say is... Um. Looking at Daniel Jones, yes, Phil Simms, his first three years in this league, a lot of injuries, had turnover issues, fumbles, interceptions, ran quite a bit, 
not necessarily design runs, but a lot of scrambling because he had to run for his life, John. <laughs> the offensive line was really weak. Also similar to what we've seen the last few years. Yes, yes. So you're saying that part of it is similar? Yes. Okay. Very much so. Very, very much so. Like Sims's, Sims's rookie season was way before my time. So well, you're, Phil, you're the Phil, when Phil came in, Joe Pizarczyk in 1979, when Phil was a first round pick, Ray Perkins, the head coach, had wanted to redshirt Phil. He didn't want to play him as a rookie. The idea was he wasn't going to play until year two. He was just going to learn the system in year one. Remember, he was from a small school and stuff. Morehead like that. State. So, yeah, exactly. And quarterbacks took longer to figure things out. Right. Well, Pizarczyk got the living stuffing beat out of him behind a horrible offensive line in 79. He was not only not performing well, but he was hurt. He was banged up. He had a shoulder. He had a leg. He had a knee. He was a mess. Middle of the season, they had to start Phil. They had no choice. They had to put him in because he was healthy. Phil comes in, wins his first five games. (laughs) We're all like, wow, look at this kid, you know? Uh, and then, of course, it caught up to him because the offensive line just wasn't very good. Right. And, the, and then things went south after that. Right. But, Phil, my point mm-hmm. to you is Phil had that quick flash at the beginning when he was a rookie, just like Daniel Jones did. He had that quick flash in Tampa. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of similarities here, John. I'm not going to tell you that he's going to go on and win a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, back then, you didn't have to pay Phil Sims after four or five years, but right. he was a free agent. Which exactly. made it easier to be patient with him. Yes, yes. But here's what I will say. And this is the one thing that's different with Phil Sims and Daniel Jones. Phil had to endure the 81 season where he got hurt. Scott Bruner came in and brought the Giants into the playoffs. Okay? And now it was like, well, Phil wants, you know, Phil wants his job back, of course, but Bruner led them into the playoffs. And then when Purcells became head coach in 83, he went with Bruner out of training camp. Daniel Jones. What happened in 82? 82 was the strike season. Oh, that's right. Okay. So that was a truncated season anyway. I forgot about that. Okay. I mean, you know, Bruner was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a truncated season. Mm -hmm. So, and they finished four and five that year. They're only a game out of the wild card, believe it or not. But Daniel Jones has not had any competition. That's the difference. I'll tell you what, though, Tyrod Taylor is a good player. This is the most. This is the best backup that without a doubt, have, and not close. Without a doubt, had. without a doubt. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't consider it a competition. It's not. Right. They're saying Daniel's the guy going in. Mm-hmm. So that's the one huge difference between Sims right. and Jones. But here's the thing. Let's say the same type. Of, and and I know we're going long here, folks. I have one more question. Two more questions after this, and then we'll wrap. Let's say Jones gets hurt. I say the giant. I'm going to throw out a. And rare, Taylor goes on a month winning streak. <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. You had to do that, right, John? Well, I'm saying you, you love to prod me. You I, just take I that like, fork and stick it know, right in my I stomach. I like to anticipate difficult situations so we know how to handle them when they arrive. You cause agita is what you do. <laughs> That's where you might have something similar. So interesting. Follow up question. This one from uh, Giants Jord in, uh, I think, from Australia. Because he says, hey, Giant fans love the show from Australia. Just wanted to say I love the position that the Giants are in. It's all about DJ and only... It's all about DJ. But he thinks he will only stay past this year if he gets the Giants into the playoffs. Tall order, I know. But this is the NFL. I think that means he can do everything that Dable needs. 
I don't think the Giants have to make the playoffs for Jones to be extended. I think it's more of an... Because what happens if the offense is good, but the defense stinks, right? But Jones has a good year and stays healthy. Here's the problem. I, I think Jones... And I've talked about this with Jeff, I think, last week. I think Jones has to do an awful lot to get that quarterback money long-term... 30 plus million dollar contract. If I he's agree. getting the monster contract that you that you give to your franchise quarterback. Well, then I'm they're doing, in the playoffs. I'm doing quotations. I'm not even going to put playoffs out there, but I'm talking 34 touchdowns, eight picks, well, 4,000 yards. That'll get him into the playoffs. So, not the defense is awful. I don't think this defense is going to be awful. But not only that, he also has to stay healthy. Yeah, well, like he can't miss more than four games. I've I've gone as far as to say he's got to play fifteen. So yeah, I think that's a good number. So now here's the thing: if you get to next year, and maybe he is good but not great but not bad, and tag. you have trouble finding, well, you could tag him one, or you know you're picking ninth or tenth in the draft and you can't find your next quarterback and you need a bridge. You know, do you sign him to like the type of contract that the Steelers gave to Trubisky? I think that's why Tyrod Taylor's here. The way that his contract is structured, it it, it he could be the bridge next year. It makes him the bridge. Okay. They they that's when they that. signed him to the deal that they signed him to, there are triggers in there that make him the perfect setup bridge guy. If Jones does not yeah. work out, do you have any more questions? No, I, there, there was there was one that, that I did not actually uh, know, believe it or not, and so I was not going to use it, but I'll just come clean here. The one gentleman just asked about the Giants' first ever official game as an organization back in 1925. I was not there to cover it, and I don't know much about the game. You sure? I'm sure. Leave <laughs> the media guide should have well, the schedule. Yeah, but you'll give him the score and the game and the date, but well, yeah. I can't tell you anything about the game. Oh, no. I wasn't there. That's fine, but I can at least give him <laughs> I can at least give him the the season here, right? But um No, in in regards to um in regards to what we're looking at this year, uh I think folks need to understand that yeah, there really are three options with Daniel Jones. There is the option of this is it for him. He didn't work out. There is the option of he gets a modest extension because he did well and doing well one year. By the way, John, I don't think even if even if they do really well, I'm not so sure he gets that monster, monster quarterback contract, even if they make the playoffs. Because You think it might just be franchise tag at that point? Well, I don't think it'll be fran- – I think it'll be a, a – Top, maybe it'll be a top 10 quarterback contract, but I don't think it's going to be a monster, monster one because... Well, I mean, I only said 30, 30 to $35 million. Yeah. That's, that, Actually, know. you know what? That, nowadays, that's probably top half. I'm not even sure that's top 10 anymore. To I know. with you. Because <laughs> I, I think he would get somewhere between 10 and 15 in terms of the value of the contract if they make the playoffs. I don't think you can give him a higher one than that because the answer is going to be, no, look, you only did it for one year. Correct. Yeah, I mean, yeah, How he, can you get a monster yeah, deal? get like the Murray... You can't, level right? You no, can't. No, I so, so I think when we talk about him getting a new deal, we're talking about him getting a modest long-term deal, and I think he's rational enough to understand that that's all you can expect. Right. 
Or or he might just say, no, I want to try to top out well, do it again, and then you have to tag. The Kirk Cousins scenario. Then you tag. Where the yeah. tag becomes the third realistic option. Anyway. All right, so here we go. 1925, the Giants went 8-4 and four with Robert Falwell as their head coach. Mm-hmm. They opened the season at Providence. I don't know what the name of the Providence team was. Nor do I. They lost 14 nothing. Then they had a home-and-home, back-to-back series against Frankfurt. I don't even know where Frankfurt is. No. Uh, they lost five to three in the first game. Lost fourteen to nothing in the next. Then they rattled off one, two, three, four, seven straight victories against the Cleveland Bulldogs, the Buffalo Bisons, Columbus, Rochester, Providence, the Kansas City Cowboys, Dayton. Then they lost to the Chicago Bears, and then they beat the Chicago Bears in a back-to-back to close out the year. The other day, we were talking about some uh, old drawings that are on the wall here in the PR department. And by the way, they have a couple more of those upstairs to complete that set you were looking do for. Do they? I believe They've they got do. the full set. Very I, I, cool. I don't know. I can't promise you that, but okay. I can see a couple other sketches upstairs. In any event, so we were joking, right? And you were like, Paul, how do you know? I said, John, I'm a Giants historian. Well, yeah, well no, here's the problem, well, though. There were sketches from like the 50s before Paul was born. He's like, oh, yeah, they gave these out at gas stations. I'm like, how the hell do you know? But here's the problem. My 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 Giants historian stuff only goes back to 56, the beginning of modern era Giants football. I don't go back to 1925. I just want to make that clear. Right, final question. We got this one in only an hour ago today, so I want to make sure I get to it. Yes. Michael Talbert, Talbert underscore M on Twitter. Will Wando Robinson have a prominent role this season, or are there just too many wide receivers ahead of him? And then he asked Daniel Bell in your question, will he be the tight end one on the roster? We already kind of talked about that. So let's just handle the Wanda Robinson one. Yeah, he's going to have a prominent role. Look, in this modern-day NFL, Paul, you don't pick a wide receiver in the second round unless he's playing like 70% of the snaps if he's healthy. He's going to be out there. And look, if you go and you draft a guy that's, I'll be honest, let's, let's be frank, 5'8", 180 pounds, I guarantee you, the way Brian Dable and Joe Shane work together, Paul, Brian Dable told Joe Shane, I want that guy. I know how I'm going to use him. This is how I want to utilize the guy. He's going to play a lot, and I think he's going to get a lot of action. I think we're playing semantics here because while I'm going to disagree with you, I'm also going to agree with you. Semantics. Prominent role, to me, talks about snap count because it means he's going to be on the field a ton. I'm not sure that he's going to be on the field a ton. Will he, what get, I, will he get to 70%? I don't think so. Okay. I think what I do, th- I think he'll be more in the lines of 55 to 60. Okay. So is that prominent? I don't know. Does that count as prominent? I think we're talking semantics. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. I think he will be involved in a lot of significant plays. Okay. I think he's going to play more than you do. And he very well might. A lot will depend on the health of... Barkley and Galladay and Slayton and Tony and Shepard and and there's no question. I'm look. Now that's the problem. If Shepard is back early in the season, again, we have no idea. What we have no idea. Is. But if he's like ready to go in week two, like I wouldn't think. But who knows? With the way medical technology is now, you have no idea how no idea. you guys can get back. Like if he's ready to go early, he would play right. Robinson's spot, and right. then maybe I'm going to back off my answer a little bit. But I'll I, go. I'll go about sixty percent. Okay. But again, sixty percent. You could very easily say to me, "I think that's prominent." Sure, no, he'll sure. he'll be involved in a lot of important plays. I guarantee you that. Anyway, so is that a fair answer? 
Have a great weekend, Paul. You too, John. All right, we'll be back with you on Monday. That'll be our final show before the players report. Maybe we'll do some over-unders on Monday. How does that sound? Want to do some over-unders on Monday? If you'd like. Yeah, we can do some over-unders on We'll Monday. be here. We can have some fun with that. For Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmelk. We'll be back with you next week. Enjoy your last weekend without any sort of Giants practice or games until next January. <laughs> you know I love it, John. I just pumped up Paul Dottino. Have a great weekend. Let's go! Everybody. We'll see then. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.